So Alex is with us again from the uh, right place. Hello, Alex. Hello, Darren. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Uh, so a lot happening then during uh, 2018. Today we're going to be talking uh, about buy to let. We are indeed, yes. All right, so uh, there's um, a lot of talk about uh, buy to let and uh, possibly it not being quite as popular as it once was. You know me, Darren. I, I'm a very positive guy. Um, what I wanted to do was actually look at uh, positive uh, reasons and positive influences uh, that are going to be happening in 2018. Um, so I, I don't buy into what's being said about the death of buy to let at all because I can actually think of 30 reasons um, that a lot of people think are negatives uh, that are going to be coming in the next year or so that I actually think are positives. So we're going to have a chat about those. All right, excellent. Uh, so why should people be optimistic then, first of all, about buy to let this year? Well, there's, there's a lot of negative publicity. Um, you mentioned that, that, that headline about the death of buy to let um, you know the, the government has sort of spent the last two and a half years uh, feels like attacking um, you know the buy to let sector the, the, the landlord sector so uh, th- th- there's good reasons for um, a lot of people to be feeling that this is not the right time to be in buy to let or to get into buy to let or now's the time to get out of it um, reality is it like everything in life you know, there's always a way to turn a negative into a positive and um, what we're going to look at is some of the, the, the sort of headline grabbing uh, statistics and issues um, that people believe are actually uh, very bad and how they can turn that negative into a positive for themselves. Okay, excellent. So as regards as house prices then uh, this year, obviously that affects the buy-to-let market. There's a lot of talk, uh, you know, about there still not being enough property. There's also talk, on the other hand, about the effects of Brexit. What do you think is going to happen to house prices? <sighs> oh, well, you mentioned the B word. Um, yeah. Let's not get into that right now. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, okay, in terms of house prices, look, um, Everyone basically accepts that house prices go up over time, okay? And they're essentially affected by inflation, um, which is always going to make the value of things grow over time. Um, but we're in a, well, let's say we're sort of towards the start of, of a, um, a period where actually house prices aren't expected to rise that much over the next few years. Mentioned the B word, you know, there's an awful lot of political uncertainty uh, and that kind of thing tends to, to, to affect people's optimism, um, people's desire to want to buy property, and that tends to have a, a downward drag on, on house prices. Um, however, having said that, Savills, so, you know, big name, um, they're, they're actually forecasting that UK house price growth in 2018 will be around 2%. So that's on an, on average. They're forecasting around about a 4% average uh, growth in, uh, in in rental values, which when you look at inflation being 3% at the moment, you can see they're both sort of hovering either side of inflation. Um, however, we live in a fantastic city. St Keynes is, isn't average, is it? We don't think it's average. Well, Savills themselves are telling us we're not because Savills are forecasting that Milton Keynes house prices will rise by 5% over the coming years. That's, you know, two and a half times the, the, the UK average. It's still quite a, a modest and quite a subdued level uh, in historical terms, but it just shows uh, how positive people can be about um, about the, the, the housing market um, in Milton Keynes. And I guess if you look at uh, the last disaster that we had on our hands, the banking collapse in 2008, I guess if you look at the prices in 2007 and you look at the house prices now in 2017 over that 10-year period, you may have had that dip in 2008-2009, uh, the squeeze on mortgages, but overall the prices have increased dramatically over those 10 years. Yeah, I think what, what happened in um, sort of between 2009 and, and 2012, I suppose, what we really saw was a, a more dramatic fall in house prices than we'd expected, so it wasn't gradual. It was really quite, um, you know, quite a, a huge drop. Um, but then the bounce back was quite sharp as well. And again, anywhere where people want to live, where it's popular like Milton Keynes, is always going to see that happen. And, and really, Milton Keynes house prices um, had, had 
reached their 2007 peak again by about 2011-2012. So yeah, it took a little while because there was a, a drop and then a bounce back. Um, but since then, there's been you know some good house price growth. So yeah. people should be confident about uh, about housing in Milton Keynes. I, I think definitely in Milton Keynes because you've got head offices uh, moving all the time into the area. And just skipping further down our notes, uh, you know, there's also a lot of talk about the Cambridge to Oxford train route as well which I guess is going to put more people in Milton Keynes. The slap bang between yeah. um, Cambridge and, uh, and Oxford, um, which means that, you know, essentially any, any, um, any, any traffic between, yeah. uh, between uh, Cambridge and Oxford is, is pretty much going to come through Milton Keynes. Um, but, you know, this, this area has actually been, uh, has actually been targeted um, as, a, as, a, as a growth area to benefit from um, what, what, you know, what the government and the other interested bodies are sort of referring to is almost like, you know, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, in, uh, in in America, you know that area, that um, what do they call the knowledge arc between Oxford and Cambridge, um, and uh, the East West Rail Link is is being built and it's being improved and it's going to link um, Oxford in the west to Cambridge in the east and then go you know further into into East Anglia. And I mean the projection for that's only like. 2022 or something like that yeah. for, for the completion of that so it's not that long away so that's one of the reasons why um you know milton Keynes is being forecast to sort of benefit from that that knowledge yeah because because already i know a number of people that commute into luton people that go up to manchester quite regularly so when you look at that route it's obviously up and down we are perfectly you know. placed for anyone that wants to go pretty much anywhere <laughs> yeah uh, in, in the country so, you know you yeah. had that rail route and as you say you know milton mckean's comes even more of a hub for people yeah. to live fantastic well look the center for economics and business research they've come out and said that they believe milton Keynes have the third highest level of economic growth in 2018 only just behind oxford and cambridge so when we look at house prices going back onto the original uh, question i think the slight the uh, um demand and the supply of houses is really going to keep up the prices over the next few years. Um, yeah, I don't think anywhere in the country is really building enough homes. Um, but uh, just you know, having pinched some figures from from Milton Keynes Council's forecast, um, they forecast the population in Milton Keynes to grow by five thousand eight hundred in two thousand eighteen, right. um, with only two and a half thousand um, new build starts. Uh, and by the way, you know that that's their projecting two and a half thousand, but they've been projecting similar figures for about the last ten years, and they normally fall a long way short of that. Um, but even looking at those statistics, you know that's that's you know two and a half people to every household. No, you know, two point four uh, people per household being the old, the old statistics so you know Milton Keynes Council believe that there's there's sort of approximately the right number of houses being built to house um, the number of families that come into Milton Keynes but of course that figure doesn't take into account single people you know just do, doesn't take into account any any sort of other demographics so really e- even if you were to believe that projection which I don't um, then uh, you still see that fewer houses are being built in Milton Keynes than the population is projected to rise there's also been a lot of talk about help to buy and I guess uh, help to buy has been great at helping uh, people get on the ladder for the first time but there's been a lot of talk about maybe help to buy coming to an end and I guess that, that could possibly mean that there's going to be more people looking to rent. Yeah, now look, um, I'm going to say something perhaps a lot of people might think is, is a bit unpopular. I'm not a fan of help to buy. Not because it hasn't helped people get on the property line, it has, but actually when you look at the costs involved in help to buy, it's not been a cheap way for people to get um, on the housing ladder. And, and what's worse is that actually if anyone's taken advantage of help to buy without looking at the situation they're in if house prices don't go up, much over the next few years, they realise that actually their chances of being in negative equity as a result of help to buy, you know, were actually increased as a, 
result of, of help to buy. So I'm not a huge fan of it. It's great, it's well-meaning, but I'm not sure it's actually delivered quite uh, on its promises. Um, but the government has, has committed to uh, to extend it up to 2020. Um, and, you know, help to buy has been blamed by some commentators as, as having... Um, you know, a very a very strong effect on, on making house prices rise because making the housing market more accessible. Um, that's what we want, but preferably without the yeah. <laughs> house prices rising um, uncontrolled. But um, anyway, the, the government has said that they've extended it till 2020. It might be extended again, but, you know, they reckon that's going to help, you know, 135,000 people um, get on the housing ladder. But, you know, the effects of it almost certainly are that they that it will push house prices up even further what about the changes in stamp duty then because in the last budget uh, there was help for first time buyers do you think um, there's going to be major changes to stamp duty well i think the change that was announced last november was, was quite a major change i think it'd been on the cards you know an awful lot of um, organizations have been calling for, for an exemption for first time buyers um, and that's precisely um, what happened so um you know, just just to put that in context, the, what the government has said is is that you know if you want to buy a house as a first time buyer, the first three hundred thousand pounds of of that will be exempt from stamp duty. So that's a huge amount of stamp duty. That's thousands and thousands of pounds. Which when you're you know your your only access to money is through savings. Yeah. You know, thousands and thousands of pounds. So Save, does that fantastic. stamp duty change um, affect people that might be buying a first property to let, or do they actually need to? live in it (laughs) that would be asking too much wouldn't it it has to be someone's uh, principal and and they're they're not allowed to have as I understand it anyway I think the rules are they're not allowed to have had an interest in property before anywhere else in the world so you, you truly have to be a first-time buyer, which I think is, you know, is the way it should be. If, if if we're putting a policy in place to help first-time buyers, let's make sure it actually helps first-time buyers. Not, you know, I was a first-time buyer, yeah. then I wasn't, and now I am again. <laughs> so, do you think there'll be changes in stamp duty eventually to put people off for buying a second home or a property to to let? That three percent um, increase that was uh, uh, bought in over a year ago, you know, that has had a, a big dampening effect. It really yeah. has. Um, you know, there was a massive rush to buy properties immediately before it. You know, get that completion finished before. I think it's April 2016. Now get it finished before then, um, and and that sort of skewed the figures really because it, it looked like people were still buying like crazy. You know, when actually they weren't, they were buying like crazy to try and get it through as quickly as right. possible before before that happened. But since then, you know, the uh, uh, the, the the growth in house purchases from uh, uh, people who already own one home, so it's their second home. And the majority of those, in fairness, probably are buy-to-let landlords. So some of them will be people who are buying a, a holiday home in, you know, on the south coast or something, but the majority of them are probably uh, landlords. But yeah, that, 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 that has been um, very much subdued. In, in fact, that, that part of the mortgage market has roughly halved right. in the last um, 18 months. You know, Anything that damages the bottom line of banks and mortgage lenders is not necessarily a good thing for anyone. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway... We, uh, we, we we shall see. We shall yeah. see. I, I'm sure the government would say that's a policy under re- constant review. Yeah. You know. So I know that um, you know when when the monthly announcement comes out to if the interest rates are going to go up or not. There was a lot of talk about they were going to go up, and then they expected them not to go up. Uh, and then obviously we had the uh, quarter percent increase. So uh, obviously that does affect uh, buy to let as regards as the rates that people repay. What what the forecast do you think for mortgages for the next twelve months or so? Well, um, interest rates affect um, everyone to a greater or lesser degree, not just people that own own property. Um, let's not forget that you know the people that, that own their own home who have a mortgage will 
probably be affected by it. And it's not just the effect on your mortgage. A lot of people will say, well, I've locked into a, a you know, fixed rate, so um, interest rates can do what they like. It's not, not going to affect me. Um, well, of course it will, because you know, if you're looking to sell, it will affect people elsewhere in the chain. Um, you know, the moment that mortgage rate expires, you know, you could have a, a, a nasty awakening. So, you know, mortgage rate increases can, can hurt or, or benefit really everyone, everyone who, who owns uh, property. Um, for for landlords, it's not been the biggest set or cost um, in, in terms of their finance and their mortgage. There are other factors that have had and, and are going to continue to have a, a much uh, much worse effect. But I mean, the, the good thing about it is, look, we've benefited from, you know, 10 years of ultra low um, interest rates and so you know homeowners landlords everyone you know, they, they had a great deal of benefit um, from that and as long as you haven't overstretched yourself to afford something that's been at its cheapest in, in you know in over a decade then you know you probably will be okay the government has said and the Bank of England has said that interest rate rises will be gradual and this isn't the word that you use, but, you know, predictable. So what they're saying is we're literally going to tell everyone in advance that this is bound to happen and the markets will start to price that kind of thing in. Um, but interestingly enough, the Financial Times annual survey uh, of economists, um, you know, for what that's worth, um, the, the poll amongst those, no, no, no economists really seem to believe that our um, Bank of England base rate will be more than 1% by the end of 2018 so it's half a percent now you know the market's um, putting in a couple of quarter point rises mm. um, and, and so that you know hopefully that fits in with the philosophy of, of the Bank of England that any rate rises will be gradual uh, and they will be almost predictable. And does that kind of fit in with inflation because obviously we're seeing inflation being at all-time levels and there's a lot of talk the inflation can affect the interest rates. Do, do you absolutely think, yeah absolutely well um an, an economist friend of mine, I remember him a long time ago saying to me, you know, the problem with interest rates is it's a very blunt instrument. And what he really meant by that is, is that there's, by the time the Bank of England is, is saying, well, you know, we're putting interest rates uh, up to, to tackle this particular uh, effect, it's probably so many other factors that are affecting it. It's probably not going to have the effect that they want. It's not going to, uh, putting interest rates up isn't necessarily suddenly going to dampen inflation. And that's really what we've seen is, is that um, inflation has crept up from a an incredibly low base say four or five years ago to what is still historically a low base um, but you know it's crept up over that time and it hasn't really been uh, any effect as it's, it's not been affected by interest rate rise because they haven't been in fact there was a quarter point drop wasn't there sort of a yeah. year or so ago so the fact that it's, it's described as a, a blunt instrument you know it sort of makes you realize that there are other factors that are going to affect um, the cost of borrowing, for example, but inflation is currently at sort of three percent. Um, it's higher than it has been for, for a little while, um, and that's caused some um, unhappiness uh, in, with the Bank of England. And they obviously feel that uh, you know if we start to sneak interest rates up, then hopefully that will push inflation down. But you know, you mentioned the the B word earlier. Brexit is probably going to have a far far greater effect on the decisions on whether interest rates go up, down, or stay as they are um, than, than inflation. The Bank of England is quite comfortable with inflation being at the level it's at now because they don't really foresee it going up anymore. They kind of foresee it coming back down um, with, with all other things staying equal. But we'll see. Absolutely. Uh, so overall then, is the amount of landlords going up or down with the changes you know, in fees and uh, you know, stamp duty and everything else that's going on? Are more people buying property to, to land? Well, there's certainly fewer landlords now than there was a couple of years ago. Two years ago, there was an estimate of, of three and a half million buy to let landlords 3.7 million buy to let landlords and now it's estimated at three and a half right so certainly the the proportion you know the number of, of buy to let landlords seems to have decreased um, however the number of 
households in private rented accommodation over that same period has gone up two or three percent. Right. So there aren't fewer houses to rent available. There are just fewer landlords. So the majority of the landlords that are selling are probably those who perhaps only own one property. Yeah. Um, and uh, and a, a finding or a forecasting that they might have to start actually subsidising the cost of renting that house out as a result of tax changes and things like that. Um, and therefore, you know, are getting out of the market. Um, don't know whether um, if more landlords start selling up. Um, whether that's going to decrease the quantity of, of properties that are available to tenants, you know, or whether it will stay the same, or whether it will go up, we simply don't know. But you would expect that, you know, for every house that's uh, that's sold that goes out of the um, the rental sector, you know, there's not necessarily going to be one uh, or two coming in. So we're probably expecting the proportion of, of houses to rent to, to dip a little bit. And I guess looking at all the statistics and even what you see on the news from week to week, the amount of tenants are going up. Yeah, I mean, tenant demand um, really doesn't seem to be going in any direction other than up. It was very subdued in 2017, I, I'll, I'll be honest, and that was mainly as a result of the post Brexit referendum and we needed that to sort of feed through the apathy, the um, despondency, uh, you know, just, okay, it had a subduing effect. People just didn't want to start spending money moving house and, and, and doing various different things. They want to play a, a, a sit and wait game. Also what we found is that um, a lot of um, Eastern European tenants uh, especially, uh, we found that there was quite a sharp drop in the value of, of the pound um, and so you know, perhaps the difference between what they're earning in pounds and what they were used to earning in their home currency, you know, it's it started to become a little bit closer and um, that seems to have had an effect. So there's certainly um, a lot of Eastern European tenants that felt probably time's right to, to return home. You know, we're not making the same level of money um, compared to our home currency than we were. But look, that, that's bottomed out as well. Yeah. Um, sterling, it, it's recovered. It went down to almost one pound to the euro, you know, shortly after uh, the Brexit referendum. It's now at like 1.13, 1.14, something like that. It's probably going to stay around that level for quite some time. So that kind of effect drops out of the equation. Um, the question of, of how people feel about Brexit, how, how confident they feel about that, Ooh, you yeah. know, the jury's out on that. I mean, there's some time before anyone starts to feel any sense of confidence. But I, I guess as we've been that. saying, you know, with uh, the number of um, things that are happening here in Milton Keynes, more head, head offices moving into Milton Keynes, we're talking about the east-west uh, rail route. Uh, generally, it should be a case that uh, demand is going up. It is, yeah. I mean, we're finding that, um, so I think demand in 2017 overall was, pro- we probably ended 2017 with a similar level of demand as we started it. Um, it went up, it went down, it went up, it went down. It was one of those years where historically we could predict at what time of year um, demand was going to go up and what, kind of, uh, what time of year it would go down. And it seems to buckle those trends in 2017. But, you know, going back to the issue of, of supply and demand, you know, there are some changes at the moment that are, are going to affect that, we know, and, and some of them have started to affect it. Um, one is actually there's changes to... Um, what's called the Prudential Regulation Authority as part of the Bank of England um, to actually make the ability for landlords to borrow a little bit harder. It has made it a little bit harder. It's not made it impossible at all. It's made it a little bit harder. When anything that's a little bit harder tends to put off some people. And so what we found is an awful lot of people say, oh, it's it's too difficult to to, to get mortgages now for buy-to-let properties. We're not going to do it. Well, okay, it is a little bit more difficult, but that's not to say you're not going to get it. It's just there's a couple more obstacles, a little bit more time it's going going to take for you. I mean, the great thing about that, we're talking about turning ne- negatives into mm. positives, is, you know, if you are prepared to jump through those those extra hoops, your competition is going to reduce. 
you're going to be one of the landlords that is 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 happy to put in the extra effort and is going to get the finance, uh, and therefore you are going to do better than others. Something else that I think is likely to reduce um, the supply is the minimum energy efficiency standards that come in in April. Now, just to let you know what that is, I'm sure. Everyone knows what an EPC is. It's, you know, it's the energy efficiency rating of, of a home. Well, they're rated between A and G. Uh, and the bottom two, F and G, from A, if your home is, is rated as F or G on the EPC, you won't be able to enter into a new tenancy or renew the existing tenancy. And obviously, the, the intention of that is to try and increase the energy efficiency of, of private rented homes. Now, that's great. I mean, in Milton Keynes, out of any house that's built in the last 30 years, there'll be very few that I, I should think are F and G uh, rated. You know, we still have some older homes in Milton Keynes, and some towns and cities have a high proportion of older homes. Solid walls, no, you know, no wall insulation, um, solid floors with no insulation, beneath them, you know, the kind of things that is incredibly expensive, incredibly difficult to try and increase the, the, the thermal efficiency of that kind. The government themselves have estimated that around 300,000 rental properties are in the F&G rating. Therefore, Incredible. after April, it'll be they won't be able to be rented. They won't be able to start a new tenancy until they've been bought up to at least an E rating. Now, if those changes that you need to do to bring it from an F to an E are incredibly expensive, um, there just isn't going to be the money to do it. So, that, you know, there's a good chance that will, those three hundred thousand could fall out of the supply side. That's six percent the private rented sector. It could affect. It could reduce the private sector by up to six percent. That one thing. Mm. However, there are some clever ways um, around that or to make sure that it doesn't have the, the, the terrible effect uh, of, of, of making it illegal and you know, making you unable to be able to, to rent that property. If anyone has got a property they're renting with an EPC rating of F or G, they must speak to me. There are ways to make sure that, that uh, it doesn't you know, it doesn't completely fall over and you're unable to rent it out uh, legally. There are things that can be done. Some of them might cost a little bit of money, some of them won't cost anything. Excellent. Um, come talk to me and let me know. All right, excellent. Uh, let's talk then uh, briefly about building your own house to let, because that's another option, getting some land and building your own property. It is. Sounds scary, doesn't it? Yeah. It sounds, oh, I couldn't possibly do that, you know. Um, well, there's an awful lot of self-builders um, in the country, you know, people who... Uh, perhaps have a home or have some land um, alongside their home and they want to build on it, want to extend their home onto it, or even build another home onto it. You know, that kind of thing does exist. And there is, there is a whole market that caters for um, self-builders. Um, however, what the government has done, not, not, not targeting those small self-builders, but what the government has done is it's created a, a fund of £3 billion that can be accessed by anyone that wants to build homes. Now, the only... Um, downside of that is, is that you need to be building at least five homes to be able to have have access to that fund. Um, but it could be five flats, so it could be on a relatively small parcel of land. You could have, you could say, the equivalent of a you know two semi-detached houses, you know, but they've actually got five one-bedroom right. flats in there, so it's quite it's quite doable. Um, and uh, you know the, the 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 loans that you can get from that range from two hundred and fifty thousand to two hundred and fifty million. Right. So the government has sort of acknowledged the fact: oh, it's not just big, big, big house builders that we're going to make eligible for this fund. We're going to make the small house builders as well. So anyone who perhaps thinks, well, I could build this, uh, you know, I have some land, or I found some land, or um, I want to build on that. If you're looking to build five homes or more, you have access to to that fund. It's not going to be free. Yeah. But you have access to uh, to the ability to raise that finance. That Perhaps you wouldn't have access if you were just going straight to the bank. Um, so, you know, even small landlords 
um, are going to have access to, to relatively cheap finance to, to develop sites. Yeah, it's a good thing. So if anyone uh, is thinking about buying their first uh, buy-to-let and they're looking at this, is there any other changes that might affect them? Tax, tax changes, uh, regulatory changes? Yeah, is there anything, of course there are. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's going to, going to kind of be the, the big things that people need to look out during 2008? Okay. Team? Well, look, um, I own a letting agency. I'm also a landlord, okay? Um the one thing that I think every landlord needs from, from their letting agent is for them to be knowledgeable, for them to be credible, for them to be honest and reliable. But the reality is, is that um, we, we can have the best intentions, but not necessarily run the best of businesses. So one of the things that the government is looking to do, which as far as I'm concerned is great and long overdue, um, is that they are looking to regulate letting agents. So at, at the moment, you know, anyone can set up as a letting agent and you don't need any qualifications or past experience, you don't need to be a member of any professional body. Um, that sets a change and like I said as far as I'm concerned that's a good thing we should be able to pass some rather basic tests to show that we know what we're doing sure. uh, to be able to run any kind of a business um, especially where we're, we're managing people's homes so they're going to want all letting agents to be um, members of a, of a professional body um, they're also going to want all letting agents to have client money protection insurance okay? right. only a small proportion of letting agents voluntarily have client money protection insurance not that expensive but it's an extra cost but there's all sorts of um, hoops that you need to, to jump through to demonstrate that you are a safe bet in order to benefit from that at the right place we have client money protection insurance but having been through the process of getting it yeah. we know just how difficult that can be but it's estimated at the moment that there's a 2.7 billion pounds of client money that's landlords money held by letting agents, not even including deposits, just rent that's owed in England alone. That's a lot of money. So actually, the idea of of regulating letting agents to the same extent as as estate agents, as far as I'm concerned, it's a good thing. It's going to help the market. It's going to cut the wheat from the chaff as well. You know, um, some of the letting agents perhaps are are going to leave the sector as a result of that. The ones that stay are the ones that you know you're going to be able to trust. Yeah, definitely. um, Because they're the ones that have taken on that that challenge head on. But anyone that knows what they're doing should be able to become an accredited member of of a regulatory body. So Alex, what tax changes might affect the buy-to-let market? Okay, well, there was a, a huge tax change that was brought in in, in April 2017 last year, um, which uh, was was the start of a phased reduction uh, ability for landlords to actually claim the mortgage interest and, and finance costs to run their, their buy-to-let business um, against their, their income. So that means that their, their, their um, legitimate tax deductions will go down between... 2017 and 2020. Um, so that started last year. So from, from the tax year that we're in at the moment, landlords can actually only claim 75% of their finance costs um, against their in- income for tax purposes. However, there are some exemptions. Uh, and it's these exemptions that landlords need to, to consider when they are looking to either buy their first or buy their 10th their property. They need to consider you know, where do we go with what we've got at the moment? Where do we go with anything new? And you're not necessarily going to need to do the same thing for both. So it's quite a, a tricky um, discussion to have. We absolutely need to understand people's circumstances. One of the simple solutions is actually the, uh, the, the government, uh, in their wisdom, decided that um, companies would be exempt from this tax change. So actually, if you own the property through a limited company, so if it's a property you're about to buy, if you buy it through a limited company name rather than your own personal name, you'll be able to continue to claim the full uh, amount of your finance costs um, against your income. So your tax bill will reduce compared to owning it in your own name. The biggest problem to that historically was that um, mortgages for companies were always more expensive than buy-to-let mortgages in an individual's own name. 
But it was bound to happen that the mortgage lenders were bound to sort of realise there's an opportunity here. They can't lose all this business. They have to start catering for it. So a lot more of them started to offer mortgages for limited companies. And a lot of them are starting to align the costs of those limited company mortgages with what we're used to paying for buy-to-let mortgages in our own name. A couple of examples of that. The Mortgage Works, they're part of the Nationwide Building Society, one of the biggest buy-to-let mortgage lenders. They've launched some ultra-competitive limited company buy-to-let mortgage products just in December. Another big lender, Kent Reliance, in 2017, they say that 70% of the buy-to-let mortgages they lent were two limited companies, up from 45% just the year before. It's a huge uh, shift uh, in, in focus from them. So that's just one of the ways that landlords can buy property without being affected by those tax changes. But there are a number of other um, ways as well, which again, you know, if anyone wants to call me, we can have a chat about what they are. Before anyone decides to, to buy another buy-to-let property or to buy their first buy-to-let property, please you know, give me a call. Let's have a chat about it. Let's, let's try and work out. Um, but from what you're saying, it, it seems if it's quite beneficial to open up a limited company. Um, yes, it, it could be. It's it's not it's not a golden bullet. It's not yeah. the only way to do it. Um, but it's just probably the, the the it's the way that's that that most people are getting familiar with because it's being so widely promoted that the, the government has exempted companies from uh, from this tax change. But uh, yep, definitely there are other solutions. Uh, and we, what we want to do is make sure that whoever we're talking to, we're giving them the right advice for their circumstances, not for somebody else's. Excellent. And I know that I asked you last time I did the uh, podcast with you, but literally anyone that's looking to get into the world of buy-to-let and obviously get in contact with you for some uh, impartial advice. Of course, of course they can, yeah. They can always call us in the office 01908 904 334. And you can literally uh, help them through the, the whole process. Of course we can. Yeah, right. yeah. Make sure make sure that they're doing everything right. Make sure that we're doing everything in their interests. All right, Alex. So if people want to get in contact with you at the right place, how can they do that? Uh, so they can call the office 01908 904 They can email me at alex at therightplacemk.co.uk. All right, our resident property expert. We'll talk to you again next month. Thank you very much, Darren. Thanks a lot, Alex. Cheers. Cheers.